Iglesia Hispana has just entered its nine years early October. It was born of a life group that met for a year prior to give the opportunity to some Spanish speakers who wanted to be in a group, but they were not confident of their English. Uh, so after a year of study together, the group prayed about offering a worship service to many of the growing Hispanic population in Bloomington to worship in their native language. Over the past eight years, we have seen over 300 attend the service and they touch the lives of hundreds more through the service and outreach opportunities. There have been over 10 nations represented for Sunday worships. The Latino culture is very relational and hardworking. They are always excited to be together for worship. Service projects, fiestas, and the best pitching meals ever. Because they tend to work um, times that others have time off, it can be a challenge to get everyone together for worship. Many came from a Catholic background and are reluctant to join us at the church. So we spend a lot of time going to them with studies, prayer groups, in homes or also online. Because many are coming from a difficult political or economic situation or realities, they have left their cultures and families to find security. The church is for them a safe place to meet and be with others who are facing the same challenges to find a work, education, friendship, and a better life. They are also mindful of their families at home, sharing with them the good news of the new hope they found through the church. La iglesia es importante para ellos. Now, I love our Iglesia Hispana ministry and the work that Sergio and Norma and so many who are just a part of that group and that gathering are, are doing. That, their worship gathering is growing each week, but I just love how they are engaged and plugged into the community. And Sergio mentioned uh, multiple ways that they're doing that. They provide English classes at the library. They work at Habitat to do budgeting classes and to translate documents for Hispanic families. They do Bible studies and service projects across the community. They provide counseling. Uh, they even work with DCS to care for abused children. I could go on and on and on about the good work that God is doing in and through uh, Iglesia Hispana to the Hispanic community. But when I think about it, it is just one more reminder to me about why the church matters. Why the church matters. Matters. We are in week four of our Church Matters series. And over the last few weeks, we've spent some time laying out this theological foundation for why the church still matters. And so we've seen that the church is God's plan for, for not just teaching us about the, the redemption and the grace and the mercy that we can find in Jesus, but the church is God's plan to go out into the world to serve and live as his ambassadors to tell others about the grace that they can find in Jesus too. The church matters because it is the family of God that loves and cares for one another. And I'll tell you, in the last few weeks, even here in our own congregation, we have experienced some untimely passings. We have some folks that know they're in their final 
days as they deal with cancer and wrestle with everything that that brings. We have people who have gone through just difficulties and challenges, and to see how the church family has rallied around them is beautiful, and it's why the church matters. The church matters because when we are united in Christ, we show and we share the love of the Father to a world that is marred by division and hatred. And so with that foundation laid, we're now going to shift from the theology of why the church matters to the practice of the matters of the church, like how the theology informs why we do what we do. Things like worship gatherings, connect groups, serve teams. These things help us live out the theology of why the church matters, and it ensures that it continues to matter to us today. So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. Today, we're going to look at why do we gather for worship? Like, why are we here today? If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews was written to followers of Jesus who converted from Judaism. They, they would have been very familiar with, with what Quentin has been just masterfully walking us through um, this morning. They grew up believing and practicing that God resided first in the tabernacle. And then when they entered into the promised land and eventually built the temple in Jerusalem, that God resided there in the temple And they believed that his presence dwelled inside of this this space called the Holy of Holies, otherwise also known as the Most Holy Place. And and the Holy of Holies was was this room, kind of this inner sanctum area that was separated and divided by this tall, thick curtain. Some scholars think that it was up to six inches thick. And And it separated the presence of God from the rest of the people. And only the great high priest could enter the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he could only serve in that position one time in his entire life. So one person, once a year, once in their lifetime, would enter into the presence of God while everyone else stood back. Everyone else was on the out side. And he would atone for the sins of Israel and restore their relationship with God. And so that's what the people who first received this letter believed and practiced. It was core to their identity and to their faith and to their worship. And so the author of Hebrews spends the bulk of his letter teaching how Jesus transformed all of that. How Jesus transformed not just the way that we engage in the presence of God, but the way that we worship God through Jesus. And it all culminates in our passage for today. Look at it with me. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. And listen as we read it for some of the language even that Quentin has shared with us this morning. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way open to us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now let's pause right here. One of the things that happened at the death of Jesus is that curtain that I was talking about, that tall, thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelled. That curtain was torn from top to bottom, as if God himself were saying, there is now no more separation between us. God is saying that that this, this thing that used to divide and this place where I used to dwell, I now no longer dwell there, but it is wide open. And so we can live in his presence all the time. The author of Hebrews says that when Jesus' body was torn on the cross, the way to God was open to every single one of us. And we can now enter into God's presence with confidence not in ourselves and not in our own goodness. We can enter into the presence of God with confidence in the blood of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And this beautiful theological truth that we can now live and move and breathe in the presence of God has some incredible practical implications to it. Look at verse 22. The author continues and says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so the author gives us three ways that we can respond in light of the access that we now have to the Father. He says, let us draw near to God, let us hold on to hope, and let us encourage one another. Let us draw near to God. Man, that is such a beautiful invitation that we have received that we can draw near to God. When we put our faith in the saving work of Christ on the cross, it doesn't doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. We don't have to live in fear that God is going to turn his back on us. We don't have to be afraid that, that, that God won't love us or that he will reject us. Our lives have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and our sins have been washed away just like we sing about. And so we can confidently draw near to God, come into his presence. We can hold on to hope that we have in Christ. A hope that the author says in verse 6 is actually an anchor for our soul. That no matter what we walk through in this life, our hope is firmly anchored in a God who is with us. A God that we can fully surrender to and rely on. And in response to God's presence in our lives, we can encourage one another. 
We can spur one another on to love like Jesus loved and serve like Jesus served. And, and I, I think it's, it's funny, the word used for spur on in, in verse 24, uh, it's only used twice in the entire New Testament. Uh, the, the other time is in the book of Acts, and it talks about a disagreement that they had. And, and outside of New Testament and other Greek literature, this word is most often translated to irritate. And, and so the author is not just giving you permission, but he is giving you a command to irritate one another. And some of you are like, finally, a command I can follow. <laughs> but I don't think that's fully what it means. And I see some of you looking at the person next to you going, finally, a command that you can follow. <laughs> I don't think that's what he means. The, the image that comes to, to my mind just as I was studying um, the, the richness of this word, it's, it's uh, kind of like when you make up a salad and you go to the, uh, to, the, to the fridge and you pull out the dressing and you notice like all of the good stuff, right? What does it do? It kind of settles to the bottom. And so what do you do? You shake it up. You irritate it. You get all of the good stuff stirred in and mixed up. And I think that's what he's talking about here. It's like the author knows that we can get really comfortable and complacent in our faith to the point where instead of seeking how we can love others, we seek a love that is self-serving, that, that's focused on ourselves and our needs and our preferences and our desires. And, and, and so he's saying to, to shake one another up, to irritate one another in a way that we don't allow our faith to just kind of settle for something less than what we have been called to. We are to provoke and to push one another towards love and good deeds. Now, don't miss the greater point that I think the author is trying to make here. I, I think our temptation is to think, well, I mean, it says we can now come into the presence of God. If, if God's presence is open uh, now to anyone and, and it can be found and experienced anywhere, then do we really need to go to church to worship? I mean, if I can experience God's presence anywhere, why, why do I have to come to, to church to worship God? I don't really think that I have to. And and actually, that's part of the beauty of what this is saying. You do not have to go to church to worship God. We have been given access to the Father through Jesus, and so now we don't have to go to a temple or to a building to worship Him. In fact, some of my favorite moments with God, times when I have felt closest to Him, have happened in my kayak on the water. It's happened as I've been hiking up a mountain and I get to the top and I just look over the, the majesty and the beauty of God's creation. I just feel this, this closeness to the Father. But just because we don't have to be in a church to worship God does not mean that the church is not important, that gathering for worship is not important. It's not either or, it's both and. Yes, we can encounter God in worship out on the boat fishing, out on the golf course, out on the trail. But God has instructed us to come together because there is something that happens when we gather corporately for worship. 
Notice the, the author anchors all of these commands in community, giving us the sense that they were not meant to be lived out in isolation. He says, let us draw near to God. Let us hold on to hope. And then he gives that third command that we cannot keep apart from community with one another. Look again at verse 24. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We cannot spur one another on without being around others. We were meant to practice these things in the presence of God, in the community of others, and to make sure that we get this point. He continues in verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, this day of the final culmination of all things, this judgment day when heaven comes down to earth. When we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ as the church, not only do we encourage one another towards love and good deeds, but we encourage one another to draw near to God we encourage one another to hold on to hope and to not give up, but to persevere, to keep the faith even in a world where sometimes it can be really challenging. It's why we gather as a church family for worship, and it's why there is something powerful about that, powerful that happens in this place when we do. First, I believe that when we gather together for worship, we encounter God in our worship. We encounter God in worship. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are the temple of God, that the presence of God now lives and dwells in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But earlier in chapter 3, he says that together we are the temple that God dwells in our midst when we gather for worship. And so when we come into this place, we gather in the presence of God. And I'll tell you, I think so many of us experienced that when we first regathered following COVID. I can't tell you how many people over the last couple of years, and even some of us, they've kind of made their, their way and found their way back to, to church. They've been telling me it is just so good to worship with people again. And that's not to diminish the need for online church and the opportunities that it gives us to connect with people literally across the, the, the world. But, but there is nothing that can fully replace gathering together in the same place at the same time for worship. I have a, a buddy who does... Um, these bodybuilding contests. He's a weightlifter uh, that just goes like to the next, the next level. Uh, and he came actually through town and, and stayed with us back in the, in the spring. And when he left the room one time, my girls go, um, wow, daddy, his arms are as big as your head. And they weren't wrong. Like it, it actually is. The dude is uh, jacked. Um, but he's, he's one of those guys that like, he takes this super seriously. Um, like, I don't know that I take anything, maybe my faith, as seriously as Rusty takes bodybuilding. 
bodybuilding, but it's just what he is really into. And so every day and every meal, he tracks his calories. Um, he measures out his carbs, his, his protein intake at each meal, all of those things. And, and we were talking about um, online church and worshiping in person uh, a, a couple of years ago. And, and Rusty said this. He said, you know, Sean, I can get my protein in one of two ways. He said, I can go over and I can get this big jug of powder and I can scoop it into a glass of water and stir it all together and drink it. And that's one way that I can get my, my protein. Or I can grill up a nice, juicy, medium rare ribeye steak. And I would much rather get my protein that way than through the protein shake. And then he said, online church is kind of like that protein powder. It, it'll get the job done, but it's not quite the same thing. And the reason that it's not is because God's presence dwells among us when we gather for worship. Not because there is something special or magical about this place. It's because it's a place where God's presence dwells with us when we gather together to worship. Second, we gather to renew our hope. I think that this one is so important, especially in our culture and our world today. Jesus calls us to walk the narrow path. And he, and he says that few will find it and walk it with us. And living out our faith in our culture or our jobs, our schools, whether you're a teacher or a student, like sometimes living out our faith and walking this narrow path can feel like we are the only ones. It can feel really lonely at times. And we can be tempted to take the easy road or to put our hope in something other than Jesus, to put our hope in finances or education or politics or that relationship. And man, gathering for worship reminds us that our hope is in Christ alone and that while the narrow path may feel lonely sometimes, we are not alone. And finally, we gather to encourage one another. We gather to encourage one another. And that encouragement starts uh, even as you're pulling in to church. We have an incredible welcome team uh, that, that has people who are out in the parking lot greeting others as they come in. I love this. We even have like middle schoolers that are now serving on our parking lot ministry. Um, and to be clear, they are not parking cars that would be disastrous, um, but they're pointing people where to park cars underneath the supervision of a caring adult. Um, and so, but, but we want to, like, as soon as people pull onto campus, we want them to be greeted by someone who is just glad to see them, that they're glad that they're here. And, and we talk about this, this idea of, of welcoming people from the street all the way to the seat and our welcome team, they love to serve in this way. And their smile and their warmth help set the tone for our worship gatherings. And just a, a quick little plug for them. They're always looking for more people to jump in and serve. And it is, I'm telling you, one of the easiest ministries that you could ever serve. And you just kind of stand in the door in the lobby or out in the parking lot. And you just wave and smile and greet people as they come in. 
And so if you want to help make this a warm, welcoming place where people can encounter God in worship, uh, they're doing a worship team lunch after church next Sunday um, after this service. So it's from about 1215 uh, to 1.30. And you are welcome to stop by, grab lunch, get plugged into the ministry. They would love, love, love to have you serve with them. And here's the thing. You never know the difference your smile could make. You never know the difference your welcoming, kind spirit would make. The truth is, man, all of us come in to church on a Sunday morning carrying something. And sometimes it's a heavy burden. Sometimes there are folks that come in, in fact, every single week we have people that this is their very first time here. Maybe that's you. If you haven't been to a new church in a while, let me tell you, it can be intimidating. And to be welcomed with a warm smile, with someone to say, not only are you welcome here, but we want you here. Man, that goes a long way. You never know, somebody pulling into church this morning, maybe you said, this is the last time I'm coming to church. And you just feel like you're throwing in the towel, that you're giving up. And you never know what a kind word what that smile, what that presence, what that handshake, what that hug might do for someone who just feels alone. We want to encourage one another. And I'll be honest, there are some Sunday mornings when it's been a rough week. (laughs) Come in here and feel a little distant from God. And instead of preaching from the overflow of my heart, I go into the morning feeling like I am scraping from the bottom of the barrel, hoping to give something. (laughs) But then I gather with you, like my church family. And I see your love for one another. I, I know the things that people are going through and how you're coming alongside and walking with others. Some mornings I just stand quietly and listen to you sing and it's an encouragement to my own faith. I watch as you study the word with me and walk faithfully through the things that you're going through. There are Sundays when you shake up my faith. I need it. Just as I hope that there are some Sundays where you walk in feeling like you're scraping from the bottom of the barrel and we're able to shake up your faith and encourage you in those moments. In a way, we gather for worship to fuel each other's faith. One of my hobbies is grilling. And I love the, the convenience of a gas grill, but there is nothing uh, that beats the flavor that you can get from a charcoal grill. And so I got my first charcoal grill um, several years ago now. And, and I remember the first time that I went out to light it, I realized, I don't know how to light charcoal. <laughs> this is my first time ever doing that. And so I thought, well, um, I've got a bunch of it here and I've got a whole thing of lighter fluid. Let's see how it goes. And so I just like piled up the charcoal, doused it in lighter fluid, lit a match, and then literally like ducked and covered and prayed that I wouldn't lose my eyebrows. Um, (laughs) And then a friend told me about this handy little tool that changed 
charcoal grilling for me. It's called a, a charcoal chimney. It's such a cool little tool. What you do is you, you load the bottom of this thing, uh, the bottom third of it, with wadded up newspaper or fire starter, and then you load up the top two thirds with, with charcoal. And you light the, the newspaper or the fire starter in about 25 minutes. As it gets hot, uh, you have charcoals that are ready to, to cook. And, and the genius behind this thing is that the coals use each other to light themselves. They're in such close proximity to one another that as one catches on fire, the other one burns hotter. And then the one next to it burns hotter. And the one next to it burns hotter. Until eventually all the coals are burning nice and hot, ready to get the job done. I think the same thing happens when we gather together for worship. We encourage one another to draw closer to God. We encourage one another to hang on to hope and to persevere. We encourage one another that we are not alone on this journey of faith. And we encourage one another to live out the mission that Christ has called us to. The church matters. And gathering to worship with the church matters too. Our faith burns hotter and is more effective in our life and in the lives of others when we gather together. And so may we not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. May we encourage each other to draw near to God and hold on to hope. And may we gather to worship and then scatter out into this world to tell others about the hope that we have found in Jesus. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for these times when we get together collectively, corporately to worship you. And Lord, I am grateful that worship can happen wherever we are. But Lord, there is something that is so powerful about the gathered body. And so, Father, may you use these moments in our week and in our life to uh, help us to draw closer to you, to hold on to hope, and to spur one another on towards love and good deeds so that not only can we grow closer to you, but that, Lord, we can serve and minister and reach a world that is desperate for you as well, whether they know it or not, Lord. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.